Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output podcast, we've got a story about a billionaire and one about the biggest billionaire. So let's get started. We have a plan to have the cost per kilowatt hour. And we're going to go through that plan with you today, step by step, and build up how we get to these goals and how we accelerate this transition and make our vehicles and our, our grid batteries more affordable. Tesla recently unveiled new battery tech that will help its vehicles go further while costing less. The automaker said that it will be building these next generation batteries itself. It also revealed Tesla's Model S Plaid, which CEO Elon Musk said would be, quote, the fastest production vehicle ever, unquote. InputMag.com news editor Craig Wilson wrote about all the Tesla news. Here he is reading an excerpt from one of his pieces. Elon Musk says that in order to create a sustainable future, the company has to reduce the cost per kilowatt hour of batteries, which has been declining, but also plateauing. And that while the EV market share is growing, affordability isn't improving fast enough. To fix both of those problems, Tesla plans to halve the cost per kilowatt hour of its batteries when compared to existing batteries. Welcome back to the show, Craig. Always a delight being here, Mark. Thanks for having me. Seems like you and I are talking about Elon Musk nearly every other week. It's true. And I have such a love-hate relationship with him at the best of times, you know? So did you love Musk's recent announcement about Tesla's new battery tech? Well, I got to tell you who didn't love it was investors. So in, in uh, after hours trading, there was a, a dip of 6 or 7% in Tesla's share price. And I wonder how much of that had to do with the sort of distant timelines of what was announced in terms of battery tech, or how much of it had to do with the fact that it was pretty dense and sort of complicated. And, you know, I think uh, when it comes to the markets, they often like some simple absorbable numbers that are like, this is how much money we plan to make in the next quarter. And and with that not forthcoming, the official response was a bit sort of lackluster. Me, well, I'm a bit more optimistic, but I think we have to take a long view to this. You know, these changes are not going to show up immediately, but I think in the long run, they could really, really give Tesla an enormous advantage uh, over the one it already enjoys. In layman's terms, can you explain what Tesla is up to battery-wise? Absolutely. So at the moment, Tesla uses a certain sort of battery in its vehicles, and it's realized that that is one of the big sticking points for its goals. So its goals are batteries are the most expensive part of an electric car, and it's one of the things holding them back from being able to reach price parity with internal combustion engine cars. So Tesla also teased a sort of $25,000 Tesla, which it says this new battery tech will enable it to build in the next few years. And of course, Tesla wants to sell more cars on the one hand, but it also wants, at least officially, to reduce the number of emission spewing cars out there. And To do that, it needs to make its cars cheaper, and to make its cars cheaper, it needed to create different battery tech. So it's decided that the solution was first to pour a bunch of time and money and research effort into its battery tech, uh, and then to build these new next-generation batteries itself. And so that's the sort of big play, but the problem is it's going to take a couple of years for it to get to volume where it's producing so many of these and putting so many of them in its vehicles that we're able to see the sort of cost uh, benefits that it's uh, promising. Uh, so uh, we're confident the Model S Plaid will achieve the, uh, the best track time of any production vehicle ever, of any kind, two-door or otherwise. 
And what can you tell us about Tesla's Model S Plaid? So while Tesla said, oh, we want to make $25,000 cars so that people who are considering a small car from another manufacturer or a small car from us will want to buy the electric car from us. At the total opposite end of the spectrum, it also said we are going to make the fastest production car ever in the form of what it's calling the Plaid variant of the Model S, the Model S being an existing Tesla vehicle, Plaid just being a variant that has a third motor and a bunch of other specs and a far higher price tag. And that's the big one. It said, well, we're going to make the fastest production car that your money can buy, but your money buying it is going to mean laying down $150,000 for the privilege. Finally, Tesla said it would launch a private beta of its fully autonomous autopilot solution in the next month or two. That's right. And this one, well, you know, here, this is where my, my Tesla skepticism kicks in the hardest, I think. Elon Musk has repeatedly said that his company will be the one to solve the autonomous driving problem, which is to say that Teslas will soon be the sorts of cars that you can hop in, put on a movie or pick up a newspaper or do whatever it is you want to do that doesn't involve watching the road and it will steer you autonomously, safely to your destination. Now, this has been promised time and time again for years and it still feels a long way off. So Tesla has said, we will roll out an updated version of Autopilot before the end of 2020. But the reality is, first... The technology has a long way to go. We, we see this. There is a lot that can be done on highways at the moment in terms of autonomy, lane changing, using radar to assess the distance between cars in front of you and behind you and slowing down and accelerating accordingly. But actually being able to drive through the suburbs, dealing with you know school buses and pedestrian crossings and busy intersections and unusual intersections, all of these things remain quite a far way off technologically speaking, but also regulators have to sign off on this. You know, you can't just roll out a self-driving car and say, well, ta-da, this does what we promise. You know, there's going to have to be regulatory sign-off. And in a country like America with a federal system, that could mean getting approval from every state. So I think the timeline is is optimistic about sort of full autonomy. But I do think that, you know, Tesla's proof that it can do variations of this suggests that it may yet be correct about bringing full autonomy to market first. I just don't think that it's going to do it in the timelines that it's promising. You can follow Craig on Twitter at Craig Wilson. Now on to today's second story. Jeff Bezos loves coronavirus because it has helped him become the first person to ever have $200 billion. Oh my God. Oh my God. The shares for Amazon are up over 100% since March. People have gone bananas ordering things. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos recently became the first person worth $200 billion. This development, argues InputMag.com news writer Andrew Paul, is a crime against humanity for many reasons including how much of Bezos' money has been earned during a global pandemic. Here's Andrew reading an excerpt from his piece. How does any single person deserve that kind of wealth? The answer, of course they don't. Someone out there could possibly argue that billionaires are necessary for the world's economy. They'd be wrong, but nevertheless, there's absolutely no way one person should hoard 200 billion, and nobody should defend, celebrate, or be in awe of that achievement. Future generations will marvel at how we did not hold men like Jeff Bezos criminally responsible for this kind of narcissistic greed in the face of so much calamity. 
Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So in this story, you argue that Jeff Bezos being worth $200 billion is a crime against humanity. How so? As I wrote in the, in the piece, th- there's no reason for one person to have this much. And the idea that if you can amass that kind of wealth, you deserve it, which first off, he didn't amass it on his own. But say you can even, if you're able to accumulate that much of mon- money, like it's yours and no one else has a right to that kind of capital, I think is just absurd. And I think that's something that is societally where we're now like used to that sort of idea. But I think as like scarcity of resources and ecological damage really comes into play, people are going to look back and it's like having Marie Antoinette there and no one brought out the guillotines. (laughs) They're going to look back and say, how did we just let them sit in their castles with this kind of money when they didn't need it and everybody else needed so much. And this isn't even speaking from me needing that money. Like, I think a lot of people also think that, that when you're arguing this thing, it's that I want the money that they're the wealth or the influence that somebody like Bezos has when that's not the case. It's funds that can be used for people who truly need it elsewhere. And it's, it's just absurd to think otherwise that he should have that. In the piece, you argue that Jeff Bezos's charity is anything but charitable. The amount of money is essentially a a drop in the bucket for him. It it is to save face. I mean, that kind of money is a lot to somebody like you or me. But as I mentioned, you know, this is a guy who, if you spent his money, if you spent $1,000 a a day, it would take you longer than the amount of time humans have been on the planet to spend that money, which, and even then you wouldn't because the kind of wealth that he has accrues and generates its own wealth after a certain point. So you'd never be able to spend that. So, and then, and then I think there was, what is it? It was $690,000 to combat Australia's wildfires recently, which he earns about every five minutes. So (laughs) Bezos couldn't spare 10 minutes of his money. (laughs) You know, like that's, that's what's so absurd to me. So a lot of people are understandably upset with Jeff Bezos. Last week, more than 100 people gathered outside Jeff Bezos' DC home to protest Amazon's labor practices. That protest came one day after the tech CEO's net worth surpassed 200 billion. Protesters even constructed a guillotine outside Bezos' apartment as an allegory for their demands. What do you think will happen as the wealth disparity in this country continues to grow? I think it's going to get kind of weird in the next few years. I think there's going to be some serious, you know, we're already seeing that kind of unrest with racial disparities. I mean, once this starts unifying under class disparity and and wealth disparity, that really gets people unified. I know this has all been said by smarter people than me, but I mean, I, I think it's going to require some serious grassroots efforts to really put the literal and metaphorical heat on these people to give up it, even just a a sliver of the wealth that they have amassed. So yeah, I mean, I think it's going to take more than just a handful of politicians. It's going to really take... Uh, it sounds cliche. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take all of us to really enact some sort of change with that. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at AnnAndyPaul, and I am at Mark Yarm. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening.